Order up. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Matter of Taste Cleveland. So this week we sat down with Charlie Eisenstadt, who is the founder and owner over at Poor Cleveland, downtown Cleveland, Euclid Avenue. It's a nice spot if you've never been there. It's a, in a convenient part of downtown. You can pop in. They've got modern-looking um, setting. The coffee is usually different with uh, beans from other places. And uh, the, the staff there is pretty friendly. So when we started talking about doing a coffee episode, that was one of the first places I thought, oh, it would be nice to pull them in. I, do you have a, a local spot that you like best? So usually for me, I end up at Dunkin' for my <laughs> coffee just for the sake of being quick and convenient. Um, but I do enjoy, it's a special treat for me to sit down at a coffee shop. I like Rising Star, and I like Root Cafe over in Lakewood. Oh, yeah. I think there's a Root maybe not far from me that I haven't been to. Do, do they have, like, CDs and stuff at their store? Am I thinking um, of that it's same pretty, one? They're pretty, you know, minimal. Loop. That's the one I'm thinking oh, okay. of. Loop. That's the one I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. Yeah, Loop is cool, too. I love Loop right across from Southside because of the, the record shop there. Yeah. Um, it's always... I like to get brunch at Southside, and if you you know have a 15, 20-minute wait, just go across the street and look at some records. Yeah. Now, we buzzed right past your mention of Duncan's, and I, I really have a soft spot in my heart for Duncan's. I, it's almost like it's it's coffee, but it's maybe it's not really coffee. I, I can't have serious coffee discussions sometimes with people who don't also share the Duncan-like obsession with their coffee because people think, oh, it's not really, really coffee, but um, I—, I Started, I guess, drinking that when I went to Boston for school the first time in 1991, which leads me to what I was going to ask you is, do you remember when you first really got coffee? Because I, I have a story that's related to that. But let me let me hear what to, your experience with getting into coffee. So it was definitely when I was in college. Um, through high school, I would have a cup of coffee very rarely. My mom is, has always been really into coffee. So occasionally um, I would have a cup when she would make it. But I think when I got to college, I think we've all heard about the freshman 15. And so when I needed caffeine, because, you know, your freshman year, you're staying up till 3 in the morning. You've got class at 8 a.m. Um, for me, a lot of times my go-to was energy drinks. And they're so full of sugar. And I think I remember one point my friend said to me, your heart is going to explode. Um, so that was a little jarring to me. So eventually I started making my way into coffee and I'm still not one of those people who can drink my coffee black. Um, I still have to have some cream and sugar in it. Um, if you can add some vanilla flavoring or something even better. Um, I'm not going to act like I'm a sophisticated coffee drinker by any means. But, yeah, I think uh, my freshman year of college when I realized that I did not want to have a heart attack at the age of, like, 30, I realized that I should probably opt towards something a little bit healthier and safer. I, I feel like the generation coming into college now has had coffee from a younger age than maybe you or I did. My kids, for instance, they started drinking it probably in junior high a little bit, not every day, but I, you know, we just sort of made it available and they t had an appreciation for it early. I think part of it has been uh, Starbucks. I think the obsession is real when it comes to Starbucks. And I think kids do maybe start younger, even if a Frappuccino isn't you know, really coffee. It's, you know, it's just a little... It's a gateway. Yeah, it's like a, maybe a shot glass full of coffee. But I do think it's a gateway. I think kids learn to like those caramel mocha frappuccinos, and then I think it helps them acquire the taste for coffee, and then maybe they develop from there. And I do also think that I remember in high school, the place to hang out in Mansfield, Ohio, was the local Starbucks. 
So I think that also introduces you, you know, as a high school student, you know, you can't go to the bars. You need a place to hang. You go to the local coffee shop. And soda shops aren't even open anymore. Right. Like, yeah, that's like not Archie a thing anymore. It's like Archie Comics 1950s option. Yeah. So basically your options are Denny's or, you know, a local coffee shop, a Starbucks. So I remember I, uh, my parents similarly always had coffee around and I never really thought about it much as a drink. And when my first two years of college, I just stayed away from it. We didn't have a coffee pot or anything. But then when I transferred over to Boston, literally the first day that I got into Boston, I had one friend that I knew from high school who was at that college. And I took like an overnight red-eye flight. I got to the campus. She met me in the dining hall. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. And this is going to be the beginning of my coffee experience. And I need it to stay awake for jet lag. And I remember getting a saucer and a cup with a little handle kind of official looking at the cafeteria and I probably drank like five cups of coffee and then for the rest of the day I was jittering jittering around like a cartoon character just like bouncing off the walls of this new school in this whole new city but I think that uh sunk the hook bone deep at that point because since then I have continued to drink coffee on a nearly daily basis and I still love it I have cut back my consumption but I still love it I do have to also say that the for Bostonians the love for Duncan is quite real. Um, going back to my college days, I had a couple friends who, there were two guys, they were from Boston um, over at Cleveland State. And I remember they didn't have cars with them, but I had my car. And there were times where they would ask me, hey, can you drive us to Duncan? And I was just like, what? What is so you know special about Duncan? You guys don't want to go to like a local coffee shop or someplace you know cooler to hang out? But they loved their Duncan. It's in it's in our DNA, I think. Somehow it's just hardwired in there. And and also there there are sometimes Duncan donuts across the street from one another. There's so many, they're so close that it's almost the ease and the convenience that it becomes a comfort food and is not even <laughs> it's not even coffee like they serve at poor Cleveland to bring us back around to the topic of and the guest for today's show where we're talking about how they get more um, exotic beans. They put a lot of thought into the presentation. And I thought it was interesting that he mentioned they started with real basic um, things to offer that were, you know, pretty much straight ahead coffee and then have branched out a little bit to add some of these Frappuccino-esque things, but I, I don't think they even get that um, wild. No, I mean, when we went there and, you know, they said to us, do you guys want something to drink? I'm looking at their menu like, oh my gosh, where is like my vanilla latte chai? <laughs> you know, where are all the syrups? But I was kind of an adult and I just got a straight up cappuccino and it was delicious. So, yeah, they're not doing all of the, you know, crazy things with the frappuccinos and the syrups and all of that stuff. They're keeping it basic, but I think that that's what works for them because they're doing those basic, simple coffees very, very well. Yeah, I haven't had the experience of taking anybody there who was disappointed. It really they – de- they deliver the goods. They do it really, really well, and that's why we thought let's, let's sit down and talk with Charlie. So here's that conversation, and it's a very good chance to learn all about the art of coffee. We're here in Poor, Cleveland, with Charlie Eisenstuff, who's the owner and proprietor. How would you describe yourself, Charlie? Uh, I'm the owner, and uh, you'll often find me uh, working behind the bar here, but I'm kind of the uh, master of everything here. Um, this is, uh, no secret, this is my favorite coffee shop in Cleveland. I don't know, there's just something about the layout, the coffee, the people, the vibe. You're doing it right. What inspired you to open a coffee shop in this stretch of downtown? Um, I lived uh, downtown for a while. Uh, I came down here in 
2006 when I graduated uh, college. I moved back uh, to Cleveland and just wanted to be downtown. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland and uh, came downtown sporadically for like sporting events and stuff like a lot of Clevelanders do. Um, and I just kind of wanted to be like right in the middle of everything. There wasn't a lot here when uh, when I came back, but uh, I've always loved the city and uh, just kind of wanted to set up uh, when I decided to open a coffee shop. I wanted to put that like right back in the middle of everything too. Is opening a coffee shop something that's kind of been like always like a lifelong dream of yours, or did it just kind of happen? Uh, kind of just happened. Um, it's, I wasn't even really into coffee until my like last year of college and even then it wasn't like really anything close to like what we're serving here at Poor. Um, I grew up thinking I would be like a doctor or a lawyer or something uh, professional. Uh, I was kind of pushed to go to like get as much education as I could so I thought that's sort of what I would fall into. I, I tried it. I'm, I'm actually a licensed attorney in Illinois. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, but it really wasn't for me. Um, I graduated in kind of a tough economy for uh, jobs in general, especially in the uh, legal field, and I was very specialized coming out of school. Um, uh, and it just, I knew long term it wasn't something I could see myself doing until I retired. So uh, in law school, I kind of got the, um, kind of got hooked on coffee and um, spent a year in D.C. and saw like some more advanced coffee shops than what uh, what was here at the time, and um, had a cup there made uh, pour over style, which is kind of what inspired the name pour. Uh, and it uh, was life changing for me. It uh, got me hooked, and then I just started experimenting with coffee. My wife and I moved to Chicago when I graduated. Um, they have a much more uh, developed coffee culture there, so got to go to some great places like Intelligentsia, some other cool like small shops, uh, third wave shops there. And um, yeah, uh, when we decided to move back to Cleveland and uh, settled down here, we uh, just kind of I, I knew back in Chicago that this is ultimately what I wanted to do, but um, it wasn't something. I knew my whole life I, I was going to open a coffee shop, but I think back in school I knew I wanted to own a business of some kind. I, that was, uh, I ended up majoring in uh, finance in, in the business school at Miami uh, of Ohio, and uh, I was always drawn to like the entrepreneurial uh, aspect of that, business. That was one thing I was going to ask, was was it an equal love of coffee, or was it, you had to have some business sense to do this. The location's good, the building's good. And I didn't know if it was like blind luck or if actually you weighed things. Um, yeah, uh, a little bit. I mean, it's uh, you definitely have to be willing to take a, a chance going going into business, anyways. But um, I think it's just a good combo of uh, I just kind of found my uh, something that I was passionate about and just decided to make it my uh, career, I guess. And how, how do you feel about early morning hours? Like, was that a factor? <laughs> no, I, I've always actually been a morning person. I, uh, I, I wake up at like 4 or 5 a.m. anyways, so uh, coffee kind of suited was well suited for that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the third wave coffee. Tell me, 
tell me about the first two waves and the third wave. What is what is all that? I've heard that before. So it depends who you ask, and you'll get like different, slightly different answers. But my understanding is, like first wave of coffee is sort of like um, Folgers, Maxwell House, just kind of making coffee accessible or like available to uh, the masses a little bit. Um, Starbucks is kind of more second wave, and you're, you're kind of uh, getting like specialty drinks like cappuccinos lattes that are actually derived from like traditional drinks but you're making it more um, more available to to the masses again in, in America especially and then third wave is kind of more um, more specialized uh, form of coffee so you're getting uh, single origin uh, coffees so they come from uh, specific farms or co-ops um, and you're you're kind of more focused on individual flavors and, and stuff like that um, and you're getting back to more traditional size drinks and stuff like that like people uh, still confuse like different uh, like cappuccinos like they'll ask for like a large cappuccino but a traditional cappuccino is just like one size drink so uh, that, that language barrier is definitely closed since we opened a lot. Um, it was like a constant struggle at first, but people, for the most part, understand what they're getting. Is that intimidating, do you think, for some people who all they know is, I go to McDonald's, I get a cup of coffee, and I like coffee. And then they walk in here and they're like, what is all this? It is. It's, uh, um, I was very aware of that, getting uh, into coffee myself. Um, especially, like, this style of coffee, people do find it intimidating because it's it's not like ordering at McDonald's. But um, I wanted to make sure that like our baristas were like well educated on, on on all aspects, so they could be more relatable to the customer. Um, it shouldn't it shouldn't be intimidating. It's ultimately just coffee, espresso, you know, lattes, cappuccinos. It's just espresso and milk. So we've we've changed our menu. Uh, over time, but initially we just had like espresso and milk, just to kind of break down like the the Starbucks, like or what people associate with Starbucks, like cappuccino latte. So th those weren't even on our menu at first, but now like everyone still orders by that. So we're like, you know, what, let's just call it what it is, and then we'll explain it after. But um, yeah, we wanted it to just be accessible. We didn't want people to feel like intimidated by coffees, but it's it just when people are not familiar with something like they walk in here and they're not even sure that it's a coffee shop if they've been to just like Starbucks is like what they know of coffee so there's a there's like a little bit of a like a learning curve but uh, we just wanted to make it as simple as as we could so obviously there's a learning curve for your consumers but as someone who's kind of a coffee expert how how did you learn the craft um, I got into coffee um, going to shops uh, in different cities and then uh, coffee has a lot of info on, uh, I got really into Twitter uh, when I was in school and kind of using it to follow news and stuff I like so uh, coffee has like a lot of like people that are very willing to share like knowledge and there's a lot of like really good articles out there and blog posts uh, so you just I just kind of like read stuff and would try try stuff like brewing coffee at home and um, just kind of experimenting with different like brew methods and techniques and uh, 
yeah, just kind of tasting stuff and, and learning. It's the best way to way to do it. So very much like I guess your local breweries or people who like to yeah. brew at home. It's very much the same. Yeah, it's it's very much the same as uh, like I think coffee here can follow kind of the same, hopefully the same boom that we're seeing with like beer and stuff. Uh, you see like breweries open all the time now, so. Coffee is very much similar to that. So, you know, um, the coffee tasting wheel is derived from the wine taster's wheel. Um, so it's it, there's there's a lot of crossover there, especially like how people are like really into um, food and interesting cuisine. It's it's kind of the same idea. We're just looking for like interesting flavors in, in coffee, and it's not just like you know your average cup of coffee. There's like a little something more there. So if, if that's that's usually like our target audience. You uh, the cups say um, since 2013. Were you were you right on time? Was Cleveland ready? Were you ahead of the market? What do you think? Um, I think we were a little bit ahead. Um, we had Rising Star open up. Uh, I think like six or so months before us, and um, you know I think. Uh, each one of the coffee um, companies in Cleveland is doing something a little bit different, bringing something different to the table. Um, I think we have taken a very, like, uh, we're very quality focused and uh, we, we're sort of catering to like a, a very specific audience, but at the same time we're trying to make something that has like a smaller audience uh, appeal to more people. Um, like one of the things I'm pretty proud of with our menu is the coffees that we have are uh, oftentimes we're like the only place in the entire U.S. that you can get uh, some of the coffees that we offer. Let me ask you a little bit about that because I, yeah. I wanted to, I was going to ask about that. That's one of the things I enjoy about coming in here is you have some favorites. I see you've got Heart here, you know, today, and you've had like Five Elephants and some of these other things, which I, I don't follow coffee on Twitter but I do try to keep up a little bit. So I'll walk in here and I'll see stuff I've never seen before, or I'll see something I've heard about. You're always keeping the beans rotating. Yeah. Tell me about that and how you know what to even order. How do you get these rare beans? So uh, we started out with just one, um, like a dedicated roaster like most shops do. Um, we used Counterculture, which is in Durham, and they're like one of the big um, three or four specialty roasters in, in the United States. Um, they have like a great education program, which is also how, uh, which helped us get started. Uh, they have like training centers all in like different major cities, and um, we were with them for like a, a good year when we opened. And uh, people were sending us coffees, and um, I forget which one we tried, but we would try different coffees. Uh, we tried uh, Ceremony, which is a roaster in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, which we featured uh, for some time after that, we decided we were getting all these delicious, amazing coffees. It was hard for us to limit ourselves to one roaster, uh, even though Counterculture's lineup is pretty diverse and it's uh, they've got a lot of different origins um, that can keep you excited, but um, we were trying so much stuff. We are like, this is so good, it's like hard for us not to want to share this with our customers. So uh, we made a decision to go uh, multi-roaster 
just just before we were a, a, here for a year, um, we had counterculture. Sorry, counterculture. We, then we added ceremony and George Howell is another like big roaster out of uh, Boston. And um, else did we add at that time? I think we went with those three for a while. Um, then we branched out. I spent some time in Portland, so we I was familiar with Hart. Um, we brought them in, and usually uh, what we do is we will reach out to the roaster when we're considering them, and uh, oftentimes they'll send us uh, kind of samples of what they what they have, what they're coming out with soon, um, and we'll usually uh, cut them, which is just kind of how like a professional protocol for tasting and evaluating coffee. Um, and we'll see like what we like, what we, what we think will work well with espresso, or pour over, or drip. And uh, that's uh, kind of how we got into the multi-roaster thing. Um, and we just, at that point, decided, you know, we're going to just keep the menu fresh. Uh, like other shops, you can kind of go and you'll get the same blend, you know, day after day, like throughout the year, which is cool because it's... Some people love the, like, reliability or yeah, the repeatability. You, you always know what you're going to get. And and that's cool. Um, for me, like someone that, uh, like what I loved about uh, coffee when I got into it is like how different it could be, um, uh, you know, depending on the origin and when it was roasted. Even like roast to roast, like a coffee can taste totally different. But um, we were into that for a while and then I think kind of a year after that, like close to our second year, um, Five Elephant, uh, reached out to us. Uh, they're a roaster in Berlin, Germany. And I was, I, I had honestly never heard of them. Um, but, you know, we, through social media, we got connected and we're like, oh, your, your shop looks great. Like, we'd love to send you samples. And I was like, yeah, that's cool from Berlin. But I, I didn't really know like the, you know, the economics of how that would work. I figured shipping would be kind of um, a huge barrier to making that happen. And, uh, they sent us the samples, and at that time, it totally blew all of our minds. Like, uh, it was unlike anything we had ever tasted uh, at that point. Um, it was uh, really well-roasted, very light, um, lighter than anything I had had, and I, I thought that, you know, what we were serving was already light roast, but it wasn't, um, you get a lot of people that, like, hate on light roast because it's like too uh, green tasting and it's really like if it's under roasted but uh, I think for the most part I, we, we definitely favor light roast and uh, when we're picking coffees one thing that is kind of a, a deal breaker is uh, tasting tasting the roast at all uh, for me that's like if I'm evaluating something and I can taste that it was roasted so like kind of the like smoky kind of flavor it's uh, a big no for me so like uh, some people call it charbucks yeah like they, a little they bit. think that starbucks is over yeah yeah and that's uh yeah that's just something I, I don't like to perceive in my coffee um it should just be uh sweet it should have some brightness and acidity uh, acidity has like a negative connotation i think from starbucks but uh acidity is what i think makes coffees kind of exciting it's like what people like in like IPAs and stuff like that. Just that kind of that like brightness that kind of makes your like lips pucker a bit when you when you drink it. But it's uh, 
it's good. So just like look, we're looking for like sweetness, brightness, and kind of a balance between the two, like that all the flavors kind of work together and make sense at the same time. So like looking for complexity, but something that's that's just like enjoyable to drink too. Um, so, yeah. coffee is something that really is for everyone. It has its cult following of hardcore drinkers, yep. um, maybe borderline addicts. <laughs> and then it has, you know, you have the people who, you know, they might grab a cup every one, you know, once and again if they need a shot of caffeine. What is it about coffee? It's, you know, just sitting down and having a cup of coffee that you think people love so much. Um, well, it does have caffeine, so... Uh, so there's the drugs. There's that's the, what, I, that's yeah. what I go for. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it, that's definitely part of the appeal, and it's um, uh, you know there is like an addictive quality to it, but I think uh, part of it is like just the ritual of it, and um, like I would be excited to get up in the morning. That's why I became like a morning person. Like I like couldn't wait to just like make a cup of coffee. Uh, for me, like making it. Uh, for myself or for um, me and my wife was just like uh, just something I really enjoyed it was just like a good way to like uh, kind of zone out and just kind of get into something just like clear my mind um, and then just kind of sipping on something warm is especially this time of year and getting into winter is it's always good so there's a, the, the ritual you know that you sort of described there I think that's where my appreciation of coffee shifted a bit was um when I started not using a big eight cup automatic drip on the countertop and scoops of Folgers into it, that was, that was, I don't know what it was like, pedestrian or whatever the right thing is, that, was, that wasn't doing it for me. When I started experimenting with a mocha pot or an AeroPress, the, the ritual of it made it almost more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, like we, how, do you, how do you make it at home? I actually like never make like pour overs at home. Uh, I don't know if it's just doing it so often here, but, um, and it's something that's changed since since I've opened, and I think it's like one of the biggest misconceptions in coffee in general. Um, it's like people see pour over coffee at a coffee shop and they think that automatically means that the coffee's gonna be amazing or it's like a, like a huge like cure-all for coffee, like anything made that way is gonna taste good. And uh, I can tell you from experience that's not the case. You can't make bad beans taste good by pouring. Yeah, but I think people like think that that's not the case. Um, like really, like whatever what, you're only gonna get out what you put in. So start with good beans. Um, I usually I use a, a Bonavita uh, dripper, which uh, a brewer rather. It's basically like your classic coffee maker, but it uh, it's certified by uh, SCA to most uh, automatic drippers for like home use don't get hot enough uh, to brew coffee. Like SCA standards are like 195 to 205, which is just off boil. But most home brewers, I don't think, get to like quite like 180 even, uh, which is fine. But uh, like for better extraction, you want uh, a higher temperature. Uh, but that's I kind of have like a go-to recipe at home, and I just it comes out really good. So for people that are going to Starbucks spending, you know, like they're spending a lot every month, mm -hmm. uh, they, could, they could maybe stop for a month, invest in a little home kit that's yeah. higher at, you know, grade, yeah. and get the same or more satisfaction at home. I'm not trying to drive your customers. Oh, yeah. But no. it's just a point that I think people don't realize. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, 
Um, there's a lot of really good uh, automatic brewers on the market now. Um, uh, you can get them through Amazon even uh, for not that much, uh, like 120 bucks. We'll get you a, a really like solid brewer and uh, yeah, makes great coffee. What are your feelings on Keurigs? Convenient or for the lazy peasants? They're, they're, they're purely for convenience. I mean, uh, I know a lot of offices use them and uh, offices for uh, you know, customers or for, the, for their employees, but um, yeah, it's, it's really a convenience thing. I, uh, I try to get uh, my family members that I know have them to throw them out, but uh, it's... It's, it's like that, the, the chips ahoy of the coffee world, you know, like, okay, it's a cookie, but it's not a very good cookie. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like just dirty water at that point. <laughs> so, uh, well, speaking of like a cookie or pastry, you guys do have, I think, a nice case of stuff that, that rotates, and sometimes yeah. when I pop in here, I do want to grab a little something sweet or savory to go with the coffee. Where do you, where do you get that, and how do you decide that? We um, get our stuff from uh, Larder uh, in... Uh, Ohio City in uh, Hingetown. Um, uh, we get most of our pastries from them, and then we also get uh, gluten-free vegan stuff from Philomena Bake Shop, which we've worked with uh, Caitlin at Philomena pretty much since we opened. And Larder, we we brought on, uh, say three, four months ago. Uh, Jeremy Lemansky, a friend of the show. Yeah, so we talked to him before when we first started this. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I saw him give a TED talk, and I've like, uh, I've been obsessed with him ever since. I think he's like one of the smartest guys I've, I've ever met. Well, and what do you think about the food scene, the the appreciation of food in Cleveland? Because that's really what prompted us, not just because we like to eat, <laughs> but also there, it seemed like there are people here that care about food and the friendly community around all types of um, different types of food purveyors. Like, well, what do you think? Uh, I think, you know, I think the food scene here is uh, really strong. Um, like, people will come in here, especially being a downtown shop, and you get a lot of uh, tourists in. They're always asking like, where to eat and stuff. And uh, there's really, like, so many places we could recommend all the time. So I'm usually, like, breaking down, like, well, what type of food? Like, um, like what neighborhood? Um, there's, there's really just so many good spots um, that have opened uh, and have been here for a long time too. Um, I think, you know, even, you know, specific stuff like beer, uh, just as like a subset of, of food and, and stuff like that, uh, that's just grown so much uh, over time. We've got new places like Ohio City Galley, and uh, there's just so many places you can go. It's, it's an exciting time in Cleveland. So not only is coffee itself an art, but I think that the coffee shop is its own kind of art form. I know, like, when we first started, Chris mentioned that he really likes the look of this place. What is the process for building a cozy, cool coffee shop? Um, so it was a big consideration in, in our design when we opened. Um, really, like, a huge motivation for us was, like, we wanted everything that that we did and would be about to be uh, totally opposite of what everyone in Cleveland at the time perceived of uh, of a coffee shop. So, like, in our experience, like, everywhere was using, like, like reclaimed wood and, and like, kind of that, like, old, like, barn wood kind of look. Uh, so we wanted to go, like, bright, uh, white, 
kind of like Scandinavian kind of feel, which, which ended up matching a lot of the coffees that we bring in. But um, yeah, we wanted we wanted it to be warm and cozy, but we wanted it to be like clean, modern, uh, which you see a lot of now since since we opened. But uh, yeah, we just kind of wanted it to be different. Uh, the downtown scene is changing. I I have to confess to you that I have I've had this fear for about a year that I'm going to be walking around downtown with a Dunkin' Donuts styrofoam cup in my hand and see you, yeah. and you're going to be like, oh, oh, how could you? I mean, what do you think about like Dunkin' Donuts coffee and Starbucks coffees? Or is it or is it like friendly uh, competition, or do you think you know if you really like coffee, come in here? I mean, they they are competition, but in my mind, they're not. It's like a different product. It would be like. Like red the steakhouse being worried that you'd be walking by with like a bag of McDonald's or something. <laughs> like they're both they're both food, but they're they're totally different things. Um, we we're bringing in really some of the the absolute best coffees from around the world, um, and we're excited about all of those. But you know, I get that Dunkin's there. I get Dunkin at the airport. I'm not gonna lie about that. <laughs> Uh, I got I have one more question for you. If yeah. you can uh, answer, what is cold brew? Cold brew is um, it's really just like a, a brew method uh, of making cold coffee. Uh, very like simply, it's um, really the advantage of it is you're using all cold water, or we use like ice water. Um, there's different ways you can do cold brew, but. Uh, pros of it are you're not um, extracting any acids because you're not using uh, water that's hot enough. So people think it's like smoother. Um, also the cold water is going to uh, extract the coffee in a way that it's going to taste like very chocolatey. Um, it will, the way we do it and most places do it through uh, like a concentrate of it because it just works better that way. Uh, so it will be more caffeinating as well. But uh, it's just just one way to make cold coffee. We also uh, added like ice drip coffee this year, which um, I, I actually prefer the taste of it because it does have uh, some of the like acidity that you get in drip coffee. But um, cold brew will definitely uh, caffeinate you a lot more. Right on. Well, uh, any parting thoughts as we wrap up here? We again, I I, I love coming in here year round. Uh, the people are friendly. The food's drinks always going to be good? Um, no, I would just encourage people if they haven't come into Pour to try us out. Uh, give our coffees a try. You'll get coffee that you can only get here, nowhere else in the U.S., not New York, L.A., Chicago. Um, we do free tastings every, uh, pretty much every Saturday at noon um, that you can try coffees that we have on our menu or coffees that we're considering to add to the menu from different roasters that you probably haven't tried before. So, uh, come in and learn a little bit more about coffee. Awesome. Charlie, I thank you so much. Thank you. So that was our conversation with the folks over at Poor Cleveland. And I think it's safe to say that I learned a lot about coffee. It's something that, you know, when I make it at home, it's, you know, my mom gave us, um, my boyfriend and me, a, so we could grind our own beans. So we recently started doing that. And I mean, in my mind, that's sophisticated um so we're not at home i don't do a lot with coffee but how do you make it at home well do you do you use like a, a drip uh, like a mr coffee kind of yeah pot? we just have a straight up plain mr coffee you know eight cup coffee maker and we do like to try different you know 
different grounds. We really like Rising Star. And it is nice that they have that stand over the West Side Market yeah. where you can pick up some beans and then we'll take them home and grind them up. Um, I think right now we just have a, uh, I think a Target brand cinnamon churro flavored coffee. <laughs> um, we tried it over the weekend and I have to say it was very different from what I had at Pour. Yes, you know, I'm... we talked about how, you know, acidity is really important in coffee. And I definitely noticed that when I had my cappuccino at Pour. It almost was, at first I was kind of jarred by it, but then the more I drank it, the more I come, came to like it. Whereas the cinnamon churro coffee almost felt like, you know, Kool-Aid coffee because it was so sweet. And I almost felt like I didn't need to add any sugar or creamer to it because it was just so much. So I definitely learned about the difference in your typical at-home coffee and then something like what they're doing over at Pour. Yeah, and they've got the equipment and, and the experience to really knock out a great cup of coffee. But at, So at home, I had a drip maker for a long, 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 long time and exactly uh, 8 to 12 cups. And I would make the pot and drink the pot. Like that's that's probably way too much coffee. And and when I started to kind of scale back and think about how to do it differently, um, I started using a mocha pot, which you may have seen those kind of pots. They're usually on um, uh, stovetops often for uh, people that are actually non-Americans, like Italians. They'll have these kind of aluminum pots. And they make a great uh, cappuccino-esque, I mean uh, um, espresso-esque uh pot of coffee and you can get the different sizes and make how much you want. When I started really dialing into making more specialized brew methods, my consumption volume dropped, but the quality of the coffee I was drinking went way up and two cups and I was, I'm really, you know, pretty good. So I did the mocha pot for about a year and a half. And then my son turned me on to something called an AeroPress, which is like a French press, but um, no glass. Those Usually those French press pots will shatter if you get them as a gift, like within about a month. <laughs> Everybody I've talked to has been like, oh, yeah, I had one of those. It broke. Um, this is all plastic. Similarly, um, the method of extraction of the, of the goodness of the coffee from the beans is by uh, sort of gravity. You're, you're pushing the beans and the hot water through a small filter and can get a, just a really, really good uh, espresso potent cup or you can make an Americano by adding a little hot water. There's tons of YouTube uh, tutorials on both these things, Mocha Pot and, and AeroPress. But you know, as we're getting near the holiday season, if you're looking for a good gift to get a coffee-loving friend, uh, it's like 25 bucks for one of those AeroPresses, and it, it really does take you to another layer of enjoyment of coffee. It's it's a lot of fun. Do you think that it's worth worth the effort as opposed to just you know turning on your your coffee pot and walking away. Hundred percent, and I, you may it could turn you into a coffee snob. I will warn you of that because it's become so. It's like it's efficient, and I I now can like clock my morning down to the exact right time. I one thing I did add that that uh, to the AeroPress to make it more efficient was an electric kettle, so I can boil up you know pot of water in about two minutes that way, and that really speeds up the whole process. But I mean you know fun with caffeine, yay. And it might be also fair to say that you might not have time to make coffee like that every single morning, especially when you need to get out the door, sit in traffic and get to work. But do you feel like it's worthy of being like a, you know, a Sunday morning treat? Well, yes. Actually, maybe the mocha pot more for a Sunday morning because it's a little bit more. You have to watch it a little bit more. The um, AeroPress has just become almost... You know, in like seven minutes, I can have a cup and on my way. And even like a, an automatic drip pot would take maybe 
15 minutes maybe to get all the way through its cycle, although you usually could pull the pot out and start drinking straight from it if you needed to. <laughs> so would you say that your new way of drinking coffee has completely eliminated the chance of you ever getting a Keurig? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I don't – I would not go out to – buy one i cannot imagine that scenario if i was gifted one i might keep it for company or like an airbnb <laughs> if i was gonna run one out of the house but i can't i haven't had a glass you know mr coffee coffee pot in about four years probably and I, again i can't even imagine going back that way too and i know you know times change people change but this has been a, a, a it sounds a little crazy and that's how much i love coffee it's a way to have a relationship with the bean that i really like i really really enjoy it and i think too having come to learn more about coffee. I think it does, even as someone who, even just this morning, even after our conversation at Poor, went to Dunkin' and got my <laughs> vanilla iced coffee with cream, um, it, it does give me a, more of an appreciation. And I think it also made me want to spend more of my money at, you know, these small third wave coffee shops. Where do you get your beans? I would like to hear. I want to know where in the Cleveland area... Do you like to go to find coffee? I am still on the hunt. I love the places I've been to, but I know there's more out there. If you think about it, give me a shout on Instagram or Twitter. I am at Can of Spaghetti. And you can also reach me over at 7th Inning Stuff on Twitter if you want to shame me for still going to Duncan. <laughs> I totally understand. Great. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. We'll have another show for you next week. And until then, it's just a matter of taste. <laughs>